making a movie, you direct, you produce, you have to like do everything. Like whenever we have worked on a project together, it's insane. How do you go about putting the project together and making it happen? There's a number of different ways you can go about it, right? Mm -hmm. I think that, you know, if you're the filmmaker that's just starting and you, know, you don't have too many resources, you kind of want to take it all on your own. But by doing that, you know, especially as someone that's, you know, starting off, you'll learn that that's the most incorrect, incorrect way of doing it. So many people start and almost like when you start, you need to do everything on your own. So you learn. But then there's this weird in between. I think whoever's watching the podcast, probably they have done a few things. They're interested in like either leveling up or doing a bigger project. When did you found out, OK, if I add more people to this, it gets better? When I initially started small videos, very short, lots of short form content that didn't really require much, but I wasn't getting exactly the results or producing the things that I wanted to produce, so to speak. So after I took a couple classes and I understood, you know, that, oh, there's a lighting team. Oh, there's a grip team. There's, um, there's gaffers, you know, there's pro there's so many different departments that go into every single film that is made mm -hmm. in Hollywood. Yeah. Um, and then there's the independent route, which could be a little more extreme where you have less soldiers out in the field that can, you know, man their stations. So then you have people that have to be kind of like multi faceted, you know, kind of work like a Swiss army knife where they can tap into different departments, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, and so do you think it's good it, to stay there in that space where you're doing a bunch of things all at once? It's good when you're starting. So that's the beauty of when you're starting, you kind of like, you have that natural curiosity and that desire to learn and to like learn well, right? Cause you want us to learn and two is to learn well. Right. So by failing multiple times, by not getting the lighting right, by not getting audio, by forgetting to press record. You, by deleting a, by a del card by deleting, in the media. Accidentally formatting an SD card, you learn these very, very difficult but valuable lessons. Yeah. And so that's the beauty of being a beginner in a space that you want to master, right? Because, I mean, what better way to become a master than to just fail at everything that you can possibly fail at when it comes to making a film? That's kind of my my semi like take on 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 what it takes to to make a film is like you one is you got to dive into it and you know be okay with failing and two is maybe if you really have the power to make something powerful then you got to put the team together you got to put a good team together you know um and I think that's one of the things that I've learned more and more being in LA um I come from a place where I had all the resources, you know, I had friends that would help me out on projects and things like that. But at the same time, I felt limited because they weren't necessarily friends I could rely on all the time. Mm -hmm. Like I I'm about friends that hit me up to make sure I'm doing good. But like if, you know, cause I do that, mm -hmm. but if I do that and I don't get that back, that I don't really consider that my friend. So yeah. that's a big part of why I also moved from the East coast to the West coast just was to find a new circle to establish a new foundation because while i had great things and great circles and you know lovely people that i've worked with i also had people that i thought were great working with but in the end it was just it was nothing so yeah um yeah. do you find that it's difficult uh separating work and friendship and having that 
work out because a lot of the times it's awesome to work with friends but at the same time it could cause problems you know because yeah. when you're working with yeah. friends it's a different dynamic yeah uh, especially film is something that people don't realize like going into mm -hmm. there's a hierarchy mm -hmm. and things have to be done a certain way mm -hmm. and i think there's the risk when you work a lot with friends it could be difficult yeah because yeah. you have different positions and different projects people are doing different things so for sure for sure how do you feel about that yeah no that's that's a great question i mean working with friends it's it's a double-edged sword you know it's mm -hmm. it's uh it's beautiful but it can also be very painful right the beauty is of it is i mean at least in my experience when i'm working with you know close friends whether it's you or some of my college buddies like it's all passion. It's all love. There's like a desire to bring something beautiful to life. There is that. But then there's the other side where, it, you know, as a director, you want to be in control of things. Um, as a cinematographer, you want to be in control of things. So you have to be able to adapt to the different scenarios that are presented on set. Mm -hmm. Right. And I think that's an area that when you're new, it's difficult. It's difficult to navigate. Because you want to, you know, make sure you're doing your job, but also not stepping on anyone's toes or overstepping, whatever you want to call it. Mm -hmm. um, so I think that's one thing that over the years, especially more recently, now that I'm in L.A. and and doing this thing full time, or at least more so than I was in Jersey, is that it's just that we have to be able to to be empathetic to to the vision, right? Because at the end of the day, if I'm just on set as a crew member, there's someone who has the lead, he's got the vision, he knows the story, he knows what, what at the end of the day what he wants. Me, I can only give so much you know, input. And so that's what I'm saying. Sometimes it takes being a little humble and, and just realizing that, you know, this isn't my project, but I'm here to support. And, and that, that it, took, it takes a lot sometimes, especially when you're hungry. You want to you wanna like know, show the people that you know what you're doing, yeah. but at the same time... Or you, when you're working under someone that is less qualified or like or they that, don't got their shit together yeah. and you're like, you have that fire in you. Cause mm -hmm. That happened to me early on when mm -hmm. I was, I went to film school in Tennessee and I did a few projects where I was the cinematographer mm -hmm. and I was helping someone else do their project. And like I... <laughs> After that, <laughs> I was like, never again. Like, I think it goes also with my personality mm. because I'm so like type A yeah, that yeah. I want to like do my own thing. Fair. But I have learned how to work in teams. Like we work in a team now where mm -hmm. like we work at Impact Theory. We have mm. so many people and there are some times where I'm just editing a project for someone else mm. or I'm going in to shoot and then someone else is going to edit it and mm. they are going to have uh, different ideas and yep. they are working under me or like I'm doing something and you're taking the lead on and I'm just giving you notes and I'm helping, but I'm not the one in charge. So I think, like you said, coming to L.A. and working with more people, you kind of have to learn those things. So for you, how do you decide between director versus cinematographer? I feel like you and I talk about this all <laughs> we, the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take take that on. It's an ongoing conversation that I think we'll have probably until we die. Because as filmmakers, it's it's that desire to be in control and like control every composition, every shot composition, every frame. There's just that desire to like it's your baby. You gotta take care of it. You gotta you know give it milk when it's crying. You gotta you know. <laughs> 
carry it when it wants to be carried and yeah. and so as a cinematographer which is like essentially how i got into film is my friend my friend my cousin my he's the reason that i got into film he's he's a cinematographer and and i loved what he would you know kind of make casually at home with his with his family for his school projects and things like that um and so the love for the camera came from that but then came the love of storytelling and when you're telling stories as a director, you gotta be a hundred percent, maybe not a hundred percent, but you have to control the story as much as you can so that you tell it authentically, right? Mm -hmm. As a storyteller, as a director, I focus more on making sure that there's the right chemistry on set, making sure that the actors feel empowered when they tell these stories so that when they start to not read the script, but when they start to perform, it's like very natural, right? It's it's not it's not just something for the screen. It's like it's it's. I mean, to to make things short, the thing, the kind of content I want to make is like nonfiction, you know, realistic films that tell real powerful stories that otherwise wouldn't be told. Right, kind of shining light on the untold story, so to speak. As a cinematographer, I have an idea of how I want to shoot it. But I think as a director, I have a better idea, better better holistic picture of, of what my end product should be, right? And, and and at least in most cases, it's kind of telling that superhuman story. So so that's how I kind of grew out of being just a DP, a camera person. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, that, that's that's how I was able to kind of draw the line is, is to just have a little more control. Yeah, control, yeah. control. Control, control. Yeah. I mean, you're right. It's, there are pros and cons because being mm -hmm. a DP, I think the beauty of it is you get to do more projects or you get mm. to play more mm. because it takes less time and less energy and you show up close to shooting and then you shoot it and then mm. you go home. You don't have to be there through the edit. Mm -hmm. uh, but directing, there's this, there's this thing about it, man. Like it's, it's crazy. So tell me, yeah. when we did the, the music video that mm. we uh, shot for your brother, mm. how was that experience? Was that like your biggest like biggest crew and kind of biggest project as far as music videos go yeah as far as music videos goes yeah that was definitely my biggest crew i mean it ended up being like 15 of us on set mm -hmm. um you had my brother the talent and then everyone else was pretty much crew uh had some family that drove down from san francisco to support which is another beautiful thing of the filmmaking is you can bring your family in right? yeah. and then just have a good time that music video i'd say is for sure yeah it would have to be, probably be the most like high like value production mm -hmm. project I've had to date. And just comparing that to the other music video projects I've done before, because pretty much every other music video, I did it alone. I didn't have a crew. I I set up lighting. I set up my frame, to, you know, directed the, the artist to, you know, perform in such way. Um, I 100% prefer working with a team. It saves me so much time. Yes, it might cost you some money. Yeah. You know, there's there is a world where your friends won't charge you. There is that world, but I'm not the type of person that would just you know, or at least I try not to be the type of person that just takes advantage of my friends. If I could throw you some gas money at minimum, mm -hmm. I'm gonna throw you some gas money. Yeah, it's kind of yeah. I mean, it, it comes down to finding that balance between the friends that you consider family that will actually work with you at, you know, zero, zero dollars for zero dollars. Mm -hmm. And then you have the friends that, you know, they want to work with you, but they do need the money. I mean, it's, it's yeah. just, just realistic, you know? Well, so let's talk about that. So I think it's something that we don't talk enough in when we're talking about film and all of that. So 
how do we make money? So since you came here to LA, like if we try to make it as realistic as possible, so mm -hmm. people thinking of moving to LA, mm. how do you make money? How we don't have to talk specific like rates or anything like that because that changes with projects and all of that. But how is that dynamic working? What have you learned so far? Like how mm. has that been? I love this question. Um, as a filmmaker, as a new filmmaker in LA, are you either come here one with a reputation or you don't come here with anything at all. You're here to build, mm -hmm. right? If you're that person that's here to build, you gotta be okay with not taking money at first. I mean, I, I could be wrong. There's, I mean, everyone's journey is different. The way I did it, the way I was able to make this work is I had two unpaid internships and I was doing Postmates, right? Even though I was somewhat of an established filmmaker on the East Coast, the people knew, people knew, at least like people I, that I did projects for, they knew what I was capable of. Mm -hmm. I knew what I was capable of. I had great resources, but I wasn't necessarily known. I didn't necessarily have had the reputation. I didn't have the reputation I wanted to have in order to come here and start to try to charge, you know, 10, 20, 30,000 per project. Do I believe I deserve it? Yeah, I do. I believe I could produce that kind of quality. I produce that kind of quality. Mm -hmm. But again, because people don't know me, I'm starting from scratch. So I did two unpaid internships. I worked for Tripa Studios mm -hmm. initially. And then I also worked for uh, a Twitch gamer. And then to make money, I, I did Postmates. That was my third job, right? I thought I didn't have to. I mean, I felt like I can't. I was coming to LA with a lot of value, with a with a lot of knowledge. Obviously, the pandemic did not help. But with the pandemic aside, that was my biggest takeaway: was just to be in a new city and to know that I have to start from scratch. That was a huge wake up call, a huge wake up call. But once I was able to understand that and just kind of act which in, in this case, that's what you gotta do. You just gotta act. You gotta put yourself out there. You, free free gigs, fuck it, do it. Mm -hmm. it. It's what it takes to to come out to LA and be successful. Cause I mean, I've been here now almost three years and I mean, I'm I'm thankful that, I mean, how we met mm -hmm. yeah. was through my barber, my first barber in LA. Yeah. I'm like, yo, dude, I just moved to LA. I'm a filmmaker, you know, I don't know too many people. You know, I, one is I need to have a barber that I can rely on, you know, go go to person. <laughs> like, you know, I was showing them mad love. I'm like, that, that, that's who I am. You like, wanted to look fresh. I, want, I wanted, to, you look wanted fresh. to look fresh. I wanted to look fresh. And like, I, I just wanted him to know my stories. So yeah, I have someone that I, I can talk to at least. Like, barbershops are like therapy sessions sometimes. Mm -hmm. And sometimes they can be just straight chaos. Yeah. But I'm thankful, at least in LA, the barbers I've met have been they've been like guides, you know? And so he was like, yo, I have someone I'm gonna link you up with, hit him up on Instagram. Like I cut his hair, you know, he's a Cuban dude, real good dude. I'm like, word, all right. So I, I added you on Instagram at the time. Yeah. I didn't know you, but I added you on Instagram and then I ended up reaching out to you. Yeah. And I'm like, yo, Axel, what's up, bro? I, this is, I'm, my name is G, I just moved out to LA. Um, I'm finishing up this documentary right now, but like, I don't know too many film people out here, you know, would love to, you know, grab a coffee. And what happened? It's exactly what happened. Yeah. We ended up meeting up. 
Yeah, Talk we worked on something. I think you helped me on a. We're doing a podcast for someone, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and you helped me shoot that. Mm -hmm. I think that was the first gig. That was the I, first gig we did together. Yeah, that I I brought you on for that, and then I think we did one other thing. Mm -hmm. And then when the opportunity came for Impact Theory, you were working with the streaming company. With the streaming company, yep, yeah. Yep. And I was like, hey, like I need people because yeah. th that's the way it happens. And that was a two-year gap. Yeah. From the moment I met you to the moment you offered me this opportunity, that's a two-year gap. Yeah. That's a, that's like a very important detail that y'all just keep in mind that this is a marathon. It's not a sprint. As cheesy as that is, it, it's just, it's the definition of what this journey as an artist, as a filmmaker is. So No, that's amazing. Like, that's super spot on what you're saying. It's a long-term career life building thing. Mm -hmm. And... Again, I, I think I was talking to someone and I was saying, you know, I want young kids, young filmmakers to understand mm. it takes a very long time mm -hmm. and the things that you see on screen and the success path that you see people take is not a, a six months to two year like sprint. You're sprinting the whole time, but it's a marathon. So your actions have to be those of a sprinter. Mm -hmm. Your patience has to be that one of a marathon. Beautiful. Runner. Absolutely. And it works, man. It works because like I've been like the other day I was talking to someone and they asked me, oh, how long have you been like, I want to meet this photographer, mm. uh, Tyler Shields, mm. incredible photographer. Mm. I went with my friend Peter Hurley. We we're going to do this shoot. And Tyler is like probably one of the most outstanding art photographers in the world and he's also a filmmaker and he's mm. a, a great guy so he's like oh how long have you been like doing camera stuff and then i stopped to think about it and it's been about 18 years that i have been like working with cameras wow. and like editing mm. and like doing all of that and i'm not even getting started with my career and the things that i want to do yeah, and yeah. it just takes a long long time it does it does yeah. and the sooner you get here and start doing what you were saying of the actions the better the better because Absolutely. sometimes we think that we need to do something to be ready to go after the thing that we want to do mm. and you're just never gonna feel ready enough yeah, yeah, yeah. and the only way to get ready is to like go and and get ready and like do, by do, doing do it thing. absolutely so you came to la leaving family and everything in the east coast now that you're here what do you think is the whole building of a like everyone says oh you have to build your tribe and da 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 like how does that work for you and what would you recommend people do to build that yeah this this is one of those uh again very tricky situations which depending on the type of person you are you this this may be limiting this may be something that holds you back or slows you down doesn't allow you to advance at the pace that you can um but essentially i'm lucky enough where i've moved to la but i also had contacts here you know i have I have friends that i went to school with uh friends that i trust friends that i know that i will eventually get to work with mm -hmm. on a more full-time basis um so my tribe my the people that i trust more so than the people that i've met here are people that we have we have we have you know we have history you know as, as friends um finding that is not hard 
I say it's hard if you're an introvert, but if you're an extrovert, which I think this industry kind of requires you to be, depending on what in what department you are, right? Some mm-hmm. some don't. That's not true for everybody. But yeah. as a director, as a cinematographer, if you if you want to be that guy, yeah, you just you have to be a people's person. You gotta be a person that people want to work with, right? Because I've I've worked with directors and cinematographers that, quite honestly, I hope I never work with them again. And they're they're phenomenal talented some of the best but they treat people like shit on set and sure i mean then i think I'm, th- I'm talking specifically to one project i was on it was like my first project here in la uh since i since i got to la um i was supposed to be the dp on it uh someone else ended up getting the job but i still ended up working on the film on set um as a second ac now this DP is used to working with her ACs, right? So she speaks to them very specifically. She like she's got the you know the whole dynamic flow the way she likes it. So having me on set, she she thought I couldn't like hang. So at least like the first two days it was horrible. It was like she was treating me like shit. By the end of the shoot, by the end of the third day, she was giving me hella love, hella praise, like thanking me for her hard work that she was impressed. Um, and so in the, in the end, you know, people loved the work ethic I was putting in, but at the same time, I'm like, that's someone I'm never going to work with again. I don't care how talented you are. And I never want to be that DP. I never want to be that director to make me feel like that. Yeah. And maybe I'm being soft. Maybe I'm being sensitive, but how you feel on set is important. Yeah. It makes a huge difference because everything is vibing with like the energy and all that. I think being able to manage energy and people's like emotions behind the camera is as important as being able to do that in front of the camera. Yeah. So let's talk cameras now. Okay. Okay. My so favorite. My favorite. Your department. favorite thing. Uh, <laughs> so favorite camera ever that you have worked with. Sheesh. Why? And and tell me about it. Wow. Favorite camera I've ever worked with. I think it would have to be the Alexa Mini LF. Yeah. I think it's a beast, bro. I mean, I'm I'm fortunate enough that a friend of mine uh, was able to purchase one, so I, I've got to shoot on it a fair amount. Yeah. There's, I mean, you put some Cook lenses on that thing, bro. You know, yeah, but you you're not I mean, cheap. You're, you're, not, talking, yeah. <laughs> you're talking like best camera in the world, <laughs> yeah, best yeah. lens in the world. But as someone who you know started humbly, and I still own my, I still have my first camera, which is the 5D Mark III. That's my picture camera. Cool. That's my, a really fun camera. Amazing camera. Canon, in my opinion, best picture, best color science camera there is. Uh, for film, I use the Sony A7S two for now. I haven't upgraded because yeah. one, money is tight, and two is I'm sure the A7S four is going to come out at some point. So yeah, and also depending on the project, uh, depending on the project, I have these cameras now that we're using for the podcast because mm-hmm. of the podcast, and I shoot constantly. Yeah, yeah. But yeah. we have shot like whenever. What did we shoot like? The music video I did before your music video was like, Geo. For Geo, that was the Black Magic Ursa. That was a Black Magic yeah. Mini Ursa. So that that camera was awesome. Like I really like that camera Super for the camera. price. With the lenses we had, the yeah. lighting, and like that's another thing is like that camera that 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 setup that camera setup wasn't that expensive. No. But like we made that music video look so good with the lighting. I mean Scott yeah. Stevenson, shout out to the boy yeah, Scott. Shout out to Scott. I mean, that lighting setup for every scene was on point. And, like, 
One thing I, I do want to just remind all my fellow camera lovers, DPs, like aspiring DPs, is that camera matters only so much. Mm-hmm. Lighting is a hundred times more important. But yeah, that's just like a, a, a note for for all DPs and and cool. yeah. I'll so we're going with the going with the uh, Alexa Mini with mm-hmm. a little bit of Ursa in there. Mm-hmm. I'm a long time Red fanboy. Okay. I love me yeah, some Red. Yeah, Mr. Red X. Yeah. All right, I mean, all right, that's fair. So I love the Red. I like uh, Red too, man. I like Red too. But I don't know. Like right now, they're so they're all like I'm in love with all yeah, of them. Yeah. I love them all. Yeah, I love Canon. That's yeah, beautiful colors. Yeah. I I know those cameras like, but now I'm into Sony like big time, and, and yeah. I'm I'm loving the FX3. Yeah, it looks yeah. amazing. The yeah. A7S3 also like has some like beautiful color signs. They yeah. got their their colors right. Yeah, yeah. Uh, red has the. I think red is my first love. Yeah, yeah. They're very fair. expensive. They're very finicky. expensive. They're finicky. The Kodak is a little weird because yeah. everyone's got that red. But it also has this thing. Like the other day, I was with my friend and we were shooting with the with the Epic. Mm. So we did a shoot. We did a shoot with the guy who did uh, Miss American Pie. The song. Ooh, okay, okay. So we went and shot like a, a music video for him, and then mm. we did a, a documentary piece for his new movie that is coming out about the song. Mm. And I was shooting with Scott too. He was mm. doing all the lighting, and I had a Komodo, mm. and I had a Red Epic. Mm. And the Epic had this like character to it that I hadn't shot with that camera in a long time. That's an old camera. That's I, it's old, but it's one of the first ones, right? So yeah, it has it, that that sensor they use they don't, it's not the same sensor they're using on other it's things. not it feels it felt different yeah i don't know why it felt a little bit more character to it and it mm. felt very filmic and cinematic mm, mm. so i don't know man i'm i i think i'm being more flexible because i used to be only like i would pick one camera and just stick to that for the rest of my life yeah, yeah. now i'm a bit more flexible i'm learning to enjoy the different characteristics of different cameras <laughs> yeah, yeah and different images so when you are putting together an, a, a setup mm-hmm. what is going through your head what's your creative process gotcha yeah i mean it depends on the type of project but i mean let's just talk music videos for now Mm-hmm. It's all depending on the mood, right? What is the song saying? Is it an upbeat song? Is it a happy song? Is it a sad song? Is mm-hmm. it okay? So let let's get there. practical. Yeah, yeah, it's a romantic song like okay. the one that we were doing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and you're setting up the scene, and it's like the performance for the for the main piece. Mm-hmm. Go. Okay, so the performance for the main piece for a song that's predominantly talks about good love right for me that's a scene that has to be bright has to be well lit i don't imagine a a dark intimate scene although it it could work obviously it could work Mm -hmm. there's no wrong answer when it comes to music videos Mm -hmm. at the end of the day it's an art choice um but at least my approach when it's a when when the theme is love healthy love i for sure want vibrant colors i want you know all the smiles make sure you know that the in terms of mood terms of chemistry if there's one or if there's like a couple on on screen just making sure their chemistry is on point from how they look at each other to how they like touch each other to to how they're dressed to the distance between them and then obviously it's the kind of shot composition right you got your wide shots you got your mediums you got your close-ups you know do we want to get the details of the hands like caressing her shoulder her face do you want to 
do you want to see the goosebumps rise as like you know the person that's getting caressed you know is like getting excited like so this is kind of how i think about my scenes in terms of music videos like just capturing all the emotion that adds to the story you're telling right because ideally there is a story if there isn't maybe it's just a collection of beautiful shots sometimes there is no story first think about whether you want to tell a story or if you want it just to be just performance performance beautiful lighting great angles but it, it so it comes yeah so it comes down to that essentially for me and then when if there is a story then we figure out the lighting right so but that that's essentially is, is the approach cool yeah. so let's talk about working with actors okay uh, what do you like about working with actors and what's your creative process with them yeah yeah this is this is a good question um I've had the chance to work with some actors that that honestly have just kind of they made the film so much better. Mm-hmm. Like I I like the actor that can step on set and not just read the lines, but kind of like question. Quite one is question the verbiage, right? And like yo, if this, if, it feels, if it feels unnatural to you, I want you to let me know. As a director, I want you to like let me know what you think is comes most natural to you. So that when you actually perform on, you know, in front of the camera, it doesn't look forced or sound forced. So my favorite actors are the ones that I can improvise on the spot. Like, yes, there is a script, but you don't always have to follow the script. We have those directors that are extremely strict and like, you, they stick to the script. They stick to the number of takes they want. And I'm like, I'm not like that. I'm always looking for the best performance. I don't care how many takes it'll take. I don't care if we have to change the script a little bit, but I like to listen to my actors. And I think that's important as a director, right? But then it's also important to fight back for the scenes that you need to fight back for, right? Because maybe some scenes is like you need it to go a specific way. And if they're not hitting it, then you kind of have to learn to to get them there. You have to get them there, right? Because at the end of the day, this is your story. and, And for as important as that scene may be, if it needs to happen, it needs to happen, right? So so it's just being able to be a little aggressive when you need to, but also, again, being empathetic and kind of opening up the floor, I think always can help, you know, tell your story a little better. So. Yeah, of course, it's like a like a give and take and yeah. a dance thing where yeah. you need to gain people's trust yeah. so they yeah. know that you have an actual vision mm-hmm. and plan how to get there mm-hmm. but also you give them exactly what they need to click to get there mm-hmm. which is something i think i learned a lot of that because i acted a mm-hmm. lot mm-hmm. I, I did a lot of theater mm-hmm. and like small plays and bigger plays. i know that. i know you acted oh yeah, yeah i, oh, I yeah, started yeah. acting uh when i was like four. Oh wow okay yeah and so I, you were an actor before you were a camera like yeah. i was like a uh, i see it though. yeah fair so enough, fair enough I, I started with acting and then I started directing the plays mm. and then as an actor. Oh, yeah. Wow. Okay. Yeah, yeah. And then I was like into cameras and all that. So when I was like a teenager, 15, 16, that's when I started learning like how to play with cameras and computers and mm. all of that. So then I just mixed the two, but I come mm. from working in acting and emotion mm. and like mm. all of those things. Mm-hmm. That's actually, I mean, that is very, very attractive and like addictive, mm-hmm. but also like I love images and cameras and lighting and mm. 
like that is so i mean you know yeah yeah, yeah. no there's it's not so, that like it man yeah mixing the two that's when like i, I just could do that forever yeah, you yeah, know? yeah. Fair, but fair. working with actors is very difficult have yeah. you had any like challenging moments that was like extremely hard to get someone to like perform the way you needed it for the movie try to think there's one specific case in in this uh this short film i was working on in new york um where it was uh the mother was supposed to be grieving the loss of her son but like the just like her grieving just it didn't it didn't feel like she actually lost the son like it, it there was a lot missing so it, it almost took like a therapy session to get her to the correct emotional state to to finally be able to deliver the emotion the real emotion that we were looking for did you use memories did you had her go back to yeah, memories we just like i'm like like kind of took her out of her like comfort zone like yo just like forget we're on set forget we're you know filming a movie or whatever like and i'm sorry i'm gonna do this to you i'm gonna put you in a dark space but like think about like your saddest memory right now and she was like why would i do that i'm like well i don't th I, I need you to be really upset right now like, I need you to be really sad right now. I need you. To, I need to feel the pain of a mother that just lost her son in this short film right now. And like I, I tried to just like, and I pulled her aside like to have this conversation. So it was just me and her talking. So eventually she stood quiet and she was like, okay. And she went to the bathroom and I guess in the bathroom she like she took a while. She was like in there for like twenty twenty five minutes. But when she came out, she was like, okay, I'm ready to roll. And she delivered her best her best performance in that last take i mean that's what it takes sometimes sometimes you have to pull out the emotions out of people in ways that you might not feel or like the best ways but that's how you make an actor man you gotta you gotta you gotta unfortunately test the boundaries of what they can they can take you know mm -hmm. i i had the fortune of also meeting uh this who i was telling you that i met earlier this this uh journalist uh, I got invited to the screening. I won't talk too much about the screening, but there is a scene, and thankfully, I sit I sit next to the journalist. The journalist was actually a part of the entire production in Mexico, um, and he like he started to tell us a story of um, how one of the actors, this kid, they couldn't get him to cry, and the main actor, um, whose name I won't mention, just for NDA reasons, he he like basically told the director, he was like, yo. I'm gonna go off on this kid right now. Don't stop me. And this was like ten takes in. And like the kid looks at this actor as like a god. Like this is like someone he looks up to, some someone that he really wanted wants to work with. But apparently the way that this actor yelled at him, like it really made him feel some type of way. Like he started crying on the spot, and right away the director's like, alright, it's time to roll. So they, they got their shot like right right on the spot. But it took like 10, 10 takes, you know? Mm -hmm. And so sometimes you have to challenge kind of the norms of ethics in, on set in order to get what you want. Um, and so, yeah, as a director, that's, that's probably one of the hardest things, man. It, it's just like when you're not getting what you want, it's just like learning how to like to be a psychologist, so to speak, right? And, and bring out, not the worst, but bring out some of those dark dark memories for, for for some people for sure man yeah there's nothing more powerful than like being able to create 
a space where those emotions comes come out mm -hmm. and then you get to capture that on camera yeah. and then on the edit and then you add the music and then you put this shot with this shot and like you're manufacturing a new reality mm -hmm. and mm -hmm. that i think is the most like addictive part of like telling the story and making a movie mm -hmm. i remember i had a short that the whole story was this girl that dies and goes through like the afterlife mm. and then she gets to go back and relive memories before she moves on to like whatever the afterlife is mm. and we created some like scenes where she goes back and she's like having these flashbacks and like the actress that i had was uh erin Ormby. this was like mm. a very long time ago mm. she was incredible like i didn't have to pull anything out of her or anything like difficult like that she was mm. like on the spot she connected with the emotion and delivered mm. but then i remember editing like I started crying like when I write mm. found the right song to put to those scenes mm. and then I just thought like I was making the the movie I had worked on the script with the writer shot it editing this was like two months after we had shot it mm. and I was still there like sitting just crying by like the emotion that that creates mm. so I think that's the beautiful thing about what we do and that's why mm. like I, we keep even though this is so freaking hard yeah, yeah 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 we keep going after it even working on any kind of job and doing whatever we have to do for money so we can get those little moments where you get to create something mm. so if you could do anything and money was not a, a problem and like time was not an issue what would you make Oof, what a loaded question um i really want to bring my dad's story to life my dad's story is, I mean, both my dad and my mom, they both have such a unique upbringing. I mean, they both deserve their own movies, but but I want to focus on my dad's story a little more. My dad fought in the Civil War. Uh, the reason he ended up joining the Civil War, he, my, my parents are from El Salvador. Uh, my dad joined the Civil War in the in the 80s. Uh, this was shortly after his father had been assassinated. Um, he did that off the strength of vengeance. He, he wasn't necessarily going to to defend whatever side he was on. He, he just wanted a gun. He wanted a gun to find a dude that did that to my grandfather. Um, and eventually he heard that, my, that the person that killed my grandfather migrated to San Francisco for the first time. Um, so that's when he started his like kind of journey to America, searching for the dude that did this to his, to his dad. Um, never found him. And when he got to San Francisco, he just got in trouble with a bunch. Got caught with drugs, got deported, came back, got caught with guns, trafficking guns, spent a year in jail. This is in the 80s. So in the 80s, it's, it was a lot more lenient and easier to just get deported. So after he got caught that second time with guns, he got deported. Um, he, got, well, he spent a year in jail, then got deported. Um, having kids intermittently, back and forth. My mom, my mom was, she's the most loyal person I can think of. She was like, all, all my siblings, full siblings, half of them born in El Salvador, half of them born in the States. Um, I was only raised with one of them, really. I met the the other three um, on the last of five. So I met the other three when I was eight. They're full siblings. I'm like, And I'm the youngest of five. <laughs> so... I mean, that just kind of gives you like a brief understanding of like the shit my dad had to go through to to get to where he had to go, you know, to get. 
Um, I'm thankful to be not only his last child, but the child that got to go to Princeton University, you know, after he was the landscaper for X amount of years. I mean, he never thought he would have a son, you know, hit a hit a school like that, go to a school like that. He thought it was for just for rich folks, you know, so you I made it happen. I made it happen. So I mean we, we definitely have an American dream story. We have we have so much to share with the world and, and I do wanna tell my dad's story in the most beautiful way possible and and that'll be on the big screen someday, man. How did your dad feel when you got into school? You know, my dad's an emotionless human being, <laughs> so emotionless yeah emotionless like he he doesn't show much but he he was like wow good good but then through word of mouth of through my uncles and aunts like whenever he would have a couple of drinks he would like really go off about how proud he was of me and and it was great it's great to hear i wish he said it to me though like you know in my face because i think it would it would you know i think fill me with a different sense of joy versus hearing it from from other people so um but i know he's happy and i know he's proud and i just want to continue to make him and I'm proud so that's why we came to la it sucks to be far from them and i like i miss my home cooked meals i miss their tender love and i miss getting yelled at you <laughs> so, um but ultimately you know i'm here pursuing this dream for them and and again it's to someday be able to tell our stories because we have some stories to tell, man. <laughs> That's great, man. Yeah. Thank you for coming on the show, bro. Appreciate and you, man. I'm looking forward to seeing all those stories and seeing you grow and like everything that you're doing. So, and I appreciate Absolutely. your friendship. and I appreciate your friendship, bro. Actually, you are one of the realest in the game, bro. That's right. You're one of the realest. I'm so glad that you're, you're basically the first film person I met outside of my like connections, you know, in LA already, so. The fact that we're still here riding strong and like we got lots of plans and and i'm excited bro i'm really excited to build with you man you you, you the man bro i love you so much bro love you too bro we're gonna oh, yeah. make it happen oh yeah well thank you guys for watching i hope you enjoyed this episode if you can send it to a friend and we'll see you on the next one <laughs>